in the last week of this series called God is Good, and uh, really we've been exploring the goodness of God in our lives. In the very first week, we talked about how the goodness of God looks like grace and power to make it through when you're facing pain and loss, which I think we've all experienced. Uh, In the second week of this series, uh, we talked about how good the goodness of God looks like forgiveness and redemption in our mess of sin. And so today we're going to finish out this series, and then believe it or not, next Sunday we kick off our Christmas series, and we're so excited about that. So right in your bulletins, if you would, grab your message notes, uh, grab a pen, do some fill in the blanks. If you've downloaded our app, you can do it there as well. And then we want to say welcome to those of you watching in the parent viewing room. Uh, It's a great place to go if you have little ones that get fussy during the service. We just kindly ask you to take them out the back door, and an usher can help you find that room where you can watch the service live with us. Well, I kind of want to flip the script as we wrap this thing up today. And I want to ask this question kind of as a final question for us to consider. And it's the very first filling in your notes, and it's this question right here. How often do we notice and appreciate the goodness of God in our life? And this is a really important question, and it's one that I would ask you to ask yourself honestly. How often do we notice and appreciate the goodness of God in our life? life. Because the truth is that humanity, our own humanity and our culture do not do a good job of setting us up to do that, right? In fact, our culture and humanity tends to have us focus on what we don't have. Isn't that true? What other people have. Um, And and it absolutely robs the spirit of gratitude out of our lives. And yet this is what we see in James chapter 1 verse 17. It says this, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Above. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every single good thing in your life and every single good thing in my life comes from our heavenly Father. So the question is, how often do we notice it and how often do we express gratitude for it? Uh, This week I was thinking about all the great rivalries that kind of exist around us. And I know there's many, but I just selected a few. You know, you have Republicans and Democrats. You know, that's a pretty touchy one. I won't even go there right now. Uh, We have Coke and Pepsi, right? Uh, We have the Green Bay Packers versus any real football team. Uh, So that's a good one. Uh, We have McDonald's and Burger King. Uh, We have Mac and PC. Uh, We have boy bands versus good music. And so there's lots of rivalries that take place in our world. But there is one that is bigger that impacts us, especially when it comes to this idea that we're talking about today. And it's this, it's right on your notes. One rivalry that keeps us from recognizing the goodness of God in our life. Come on, and you know this. It's gratitude versus entitlement. Gratitude versus entitlement. And what makes this rivalry so unique is that we can see it in everybody else, but we have a really hard time seeing it in ourselves. Isn't that true? I mean, have you ever noticed people that are ungrateful and they don't realize how much blessings they have in their own life? But we have a really hard time in seeing it in ourselves. And that's why in 21 years of being a pastor, I've heard people admit almost every type of struggle, whether it's lying or anger or 
uh, lust or being irresponsibly financially or being a subpar parent, gossip issues, whatever it is. But I've never had anybody come out and admit, you know what my problem is? I feel really entitled. I feel really entitled. I feel like God and people owe me. We can't see it in ourselves. And if we aren't careful, if we are not careful, we'll go through life being entitled. And you simply cannot be grateful for the things that you feel entitled to. You cannot be grateful. That's so important. Don't miss that. You cannot be grateful for the things that you feel entitled to. You know, I was thinking about my very first job. I worked at Burger King. That was my first job because they would hire at 14 years old, right? And I don't know, I was making like $3.75 an hour, four bucks an hour, somewhere right in that range. And I thought, oh my goodness, I have arrived. I mean, this is pretty good money until I realized that it's not good money. You know, it wasn't good money. And then I got a job at McDonald's and, and I got a little bit of a pay raise. And when I got a pay raise, I thought, oh man, I'm living the good life now. And then I got one of those discount cards, 50% off food anytime I wanted. I thought, oh my goodness, the benefits just keep getting better and better. Uh, And then I got a job at a market research firm and I was making $10 an hour, right? And I thought, oh boy, my goodness, I am filthy rich now, (laughs) filthy rich now, $10 an hour. Uh, And then there was that scent when I was an Abercrombie model, but that's another thing I can't really get into right now. But then, but then I got my first real job with benefits and I thought, People get benefits when they have jobs. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. Until I realized, yes, that everybody gets benefits, you know, and it's just kind of part of the package. And with every single job and the better it got, I actually felt more entitled all along the way. I felt like I now deserved those things. And without even realizing it, Entitlement sneaks into our lives and it robs gratitude from us. You see your next feeling, something that once seemed like a blessing can be something we feel we deserve. Isn't that true? Something that once seemed like a blessing can become something that we feel we deserve. But Ryan, hold on a second, hold on a second. Ryan, I work hard for what I have. I deserve what I have. I mean, if you knew how much time I put in, how much work I put in, and to that I would say, listen, I understand that. But so has the person who's worked very hard in the slums of India, making $2 a day, doing their best to support their family. You see, this is all about having the maturity to recognize the blessings of God in spite of our own accomplishments. What does the blessings of God look like in our lives? What does his goodness look like in our lives? And so what I want to do is I want to look at a time in Scripture when Jesus faced this issue of gratitude and ingratitude and kind of faced that head on. And I'm hoping that it will open our eyes and inspire us to become better at recognizing the goodness of God and thanking him for it. And so this morning, we're going to pick up this passage in Luke chapter 17, and we're starting out in verse 11, and it begins this way. It says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance. How many lepers? And where were they standing? That's going to be important to know. And these 10 lepers who stood at a distance cried out to to him, Jesus, 
Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Now, if you know anything about ancient culture, you know that leprosy was one of the most feared diseases of the time. And mainly because there was absolutely no cure for this and because everybody thought uh, leprosy was contagious. You thought just by being around it that somehow you could get it. And so this was a very dreaded disease. Um, And a person with this disease, if if you're not familiar with what leprosy is, it would start out with some minor symptoms. Uh, They would begin with some pain in their joints uh, and fatigue in their joints. And then eventually they would begin to get patches and nodules on their skin. The lumps, even on their their arms, their legs, their faces even, and these lumps would get to a point that it would cause these people to be unrecognizable. It's how big they would become. And these lumps would begin to ulcerate and there would be this really nasty smell that would come out of those wounds. And then one of, one of the hardest things about this is, is they would begin to lose sensation in their extremities. So they, and the reason this was so dangerous is that if they injured something, they couldn't feel it. They, they had no sensation for pain. And so they would injure a finger or injure a toe or whatever it might be and they wouldn't know it. And then it would lead oftentimes to deformities or parts of their fingers being cut off and toes being cut off. And so they'd be maimed and disfigured. This was such an ugly disease. And so in Jesus' day, the first sign of leprosy was like a death sentence for people. And if you were a leper, you couldn't go near anybody that wasn't a leper. And oftentimes you'd be put out on a colony all on your own. And if you went anywhere, you would have to ring a bell everywhere you went to let people know that a leper was coming near and you weren't allowed to be within 50 yards of people because of how contagious they thought this was. Imagine this being your life. Because here's what it really meant. You no longer got to be around your family or your friends. You would lose your job. You would lose... Um, your, your place and your standing in the community. You'd have to go and move to another place. I mean, your world as you know it would come crashing down. And so when these 10 men who are suffering with this, standing at a distance, cried out, Jesus, have mercy on us. You can imagine just for a moment the emotion that they felt. Verse 14, Jesus looked at these men and said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. You know, and I think this was kind of like this little faith step. I want you to go show yourselves to the priests. And these these guys are like, what are we gonna go? We, We can't even go near the priest. What are you talking about? Why would we go show ourselves? And Jesus says, just believe me, trust me, if you're willing to take that walk. Something amazing is going to happen in your life. And as they walked, they were healed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked the same question that you and I ask as soon as we read this story. Jesus says, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. 
And I think, you know, here it is. Jesus heals these 10 men. They all discovered they were healed. They all saw they were healed. And yet only one returns to thank Jesus. How would you feel if you were Jesus? You'd probably be like, hey, what's up with that, right? It'd be nice to have a little bit of gratitude in the mix. And we read this story and we think, wow, how pathetic is that? Could you not return and take a few extra miles and thank the man that just healed you? And yet how many times do we recognize the goodness of God in our lives and realize things are a blessing for him and we fail to express it? It happens to all of us. And I don't know about these nine men. I mean, we could spend a lot of time probably speculating why these other nine never came back to say thank you. But maybe they would just justify themselves by saying, well, of course I'm grateful, but I didn't know he expected me to go back and express thanks. I mean, come on, doesn't he kind of do this for a living? I mean, isn't it kind of his job to just like heal people? Um, But here's what's interesting about this. If we could all today get in a time machine together. I mean, it'd have to be a big time machine, but that'd be fun, wouldn't it? We all went back to the first century and we were able to track down these nine lepers and get them in a room and we'd say, hey, what's the deal? Why didn't you express thanks to Jesus for healing you? You know what I think their responses would be? Probably they would say, well, of of course we're grateful. I mean, why are you even asking such a dumb question? Jesus changed our lives. He gave us our life back. Because of Jesus, I have my family back. I have my career back. I have my friends back. I have my health back. I'm very grateful. And my guess is that if we got to talk to them about their experience, they wouldn't even realize there was an unclosed loop in this story. Because in their hearts, they felt very grateful. But here's the problem. They never took time to express it. Except for one man, verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. This man not only saw and recognized what had been done for him, just like the other nine, but he came back to thank. It made all the difference for him when he truly recognized the difference it had made. And sometimes for us, that's half the battle. It's your next fill-in. Stopping to recognize the goodness of God provides the opportunity for our heart to respond. Stopping to recognize the goodness of God provides the opportunity for our heart to respond. Uh, just the other day, I was at Marshall's with Tara, and we were trying to find some shoes for Paxton. And <clears throat> Marshall's right now has like this huge toy thing set up right when you walk in. I don't know if you've been there lately. And it's, and it's really the death of every parent. I don't know why they put that, at, and I know why they put it at the front, so that kids see that, and you get no other shopping done except for that. And Pax immediately ran over to the toys, and, and for literally 10 minutes, I'm trying to drag him over to the shoe area, and every single toy, it didn't matter what the toy was. I mean, he didn't even know what the toy was, and he would say, Dad, I want that for Christmas, and Dad, I want that for Christmas, and Dad, I want that for Christmas. I mean, literally, toy by toy by toy for 10 minutes, and I'm trying to drag him away, and I thought, he's four years old right? This sense of entitlement comes very naturally to him, doesn't it? 
It comes naturally to all of us. And we think all the things we have in our lives, we just deserve it because we've worked for it or we've earned it or we've done this or we've done that. But how often do we stop? Right? Life has us so busy and it's on to the next thing and we're comparing with the Joneses and they got that and we should get that. And no, no, no. How often do we stop to recognize the goodness of God in our lives? The blessings that he's given us. Because when we take a moment to stop, it gives a chance for our heart to respond. It's the second part of this, right? Our heart responding. And we all know that this is kind of how it works because in just a month from now, for those of you with kids, they're going to be opening up gifts from grandpa and grandma, aren't they? They're going to be opening gifts from auntie and uncle or whoever it is. And what are you going to say as a parent after they get done opening that gift? What do you say? Right? I mean, they're so caught up in the gift, they forget. Are they grateful? I'm sure they're grateful. But they don't express it. And unfortunately, as adults, as we grow older, I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, we no longer have our mom or dad saying, what do you say, right? When God blesses us with something, there's no voice saying, what do you say? How often do we stop to recognize and then respond and even though we feel gratitude, I'm sure we do at times, our life is busy and there's so much going on and we don't express it. And it leads us to this all-important principle, something that we already know, yet sometimes we forget. And it's the next fill in your notes. That unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Have you ever done something nice for someone else and they didn't say anything? How did it make you feel? Have you repeatedly done something nice for somebody and heard nothing? I know some of you have because this week you made dinner for your family. And you slaved over the stove and got all the ingredients and you made dinner and you called them and you called them and you called them and they finally came to the dinner table only to scarf down their meal and leave and walk away and there's all the dishes and there's all the mess and no one says thank you. Does this happen to anyone or is it just me in, in our house? Okay, right? It happens regularly in our life. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. It communicates I'm entitled to this. I deserve this. I expect this, even if it's not truly what we're feeling. But if you grabbed your family members and said, did you appreciate this meal? Did you appreciate the hard work? I'm sure they'd say, well, of course we do. And they're telling the truth, but they don't communicate gratefulness. And it can appear they're entitled to the meal, right? Whatever it might be, it appears that they're ungrateful, I remember it wasn't until I was like a junior in college that I got my own apartment. And I remember for the very first time in my life, all the cooking was on me and all the cleaning was on me and all the vacuuming was on me and the toilet and the shower were all on me and the dusting and all that. And we had chores growing up, but this was the first time it was all on me. And I remember being a junior in college and calling my mom and saying, Mom, I just want to say thank you for all the years that you cooked and you cleaned and you did the dishes and you cleaned our toilets and you, and you helped do all the things to make our world go around, I just want to say thank you, right? 
Because sometimes we don't, even, we don't even realize it. And then when we realize it, maybe we don't expect it. But when I got in college and got my own place, it gave me a perspective that I did not have before. And that perspective in life is so important. And it's the same way with God. Your next fill-in, gratitude to God helps us maintain the proper perspective in life. Gratitude to your heavenly Father helps us maintain the proper perspective in life. Just like when I got my own place, it gave me the perspective that I needed to express gratitude to my mom. And here's where it becomes a slippery slope for all of us. And and if you've checked out for a moment, look right up here and don't miss this. Because there maybe had been a time where you prayed and prayed and prayed for a job. And God gave it to you and now you hate your job. And all you do is complain about your job. Or maybe you were so grateful at one time for your spouse. But now all you notice is the annoying, irritating habits. And it's all you focus on. Maybe there was a time you were so thankful for that baby that baby's become a toddler. Or worse yet, a teenager. (laughs) No offense, teenagers in the room. Maybe once you were so grateful, you prayed for that new home, You you were so grateful for it, and now all you can do is complain that it's not big enough or there's too much work to do. You see, entitlement, oh, it's such a slippery slope that it puts us on. But gratitude can move our heart back to proper perspective. When we say, what are the things I'm thankful for and grateful for in this house? What am I grateful for in this relationship? What am I grateful for with my kids? What am I grateful for? Because none of it is guaranteed and none of us are promised tomorrow. Are we living in gratitude? Or are we living in entitlement? Uh, A couple years ago, our our bed was kind of this. It was um, defective. That's what I was looking for. I was going to say dysfunctional. I was like, that's not the right word. <laughs> it may have been, but it was defective, right? And so our bed was like really lumpy and weird and all this. And, and you know, and, and I was just complaining about it and complaining about it and complaining about it. And one night I got into bed, and I don't know why. This must have been God's way of just like putting me in my place. But instantly I had a memory of when I was in Mexico about 15 years ago. And when I came to a family's house, their house was no bigger than a United States shed in the backyard. And when I talked to the door open and I talked to the wife, they had a number of kids, six, seven kids. I mean, this room couldn't have been more than 10 by 10 and there sat a queen bed laying on the concrete floor, no bedding except for a couple blankets, a little kitchen set up in one area. And I remember standing there talking with her, realizing this thought all seven or eight of them sleep on that one bed every night. And it brought such conviction to me that here I was complaining about a lumpy bed with down comforters and and way too many pillows. I don't understand the pillows, all the decorative pillows. I don't get that. I just need a pillow and I don't get that. But anyway, more pillows than we could ever imagine. And there's actually even now to this day, a couple times a week when I get into bed at night, I say thank you to God for this incredibly comfortable bed and I pray for that family that God would provide and meet their needs. 
right? Sometimes it's just about a perspective shift that moves us away from entitlement and into gratitude. You see your next feeling, a lot of people receive blessings from God, but don't realize it because they've never learned to be grateful. A lot of people receive blessings from God, but don't realize that they've never learned to be grateful. And gratitude can be a learned behavior. It's a choice we make to reflect on his goodness and then respond with gratitude. Psalm 107, 8 and 9 says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. The things that have brought you satisfaction and filled you up have all come from him. Every good and perfect gift have come from your father. I came across this story that I wanted to read in closing today. And it was from an author named Tom Schmidt, and this was his own experience, and I want to read it to you because I think it talks about the incredible power of gratitude and recognizing the goodness of God in our lives. He wrote this, the state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I always sensed um, a sense of relief every time I left. It's not the kind of place that one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few people who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. The hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless and hopeless. As I neared the end of this hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer, and there was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek, and it had pushed her nose over to one side, dropped one of her eyes, and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. I, told, I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand this site, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her, She looked less likely to respond than most of the people in that hallway. But I put a flower in her hand anyway and said, here is a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it, and then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. 
She said, thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, of course. And I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one and I stopped the chair. And Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, when I wheeled her back to her room and learned about her history, she had grown up on a small farm that she had managed only with her mother until her mother died. And she ran the farm alone until 1950 when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. And for 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches, and stomach aches. And then the cancer came too. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks. And I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from her tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible and oftentimes I would, oftentimes when I would pause, she would continue reciting the passage from memory, word for word. On other days I would take a book of hymns and sing with her and she would know all the words to the old songs. For Mabel... These were not merely exercises in memory, but it was a part of who she was. She would often stop mid-hymn and make a brief comment about lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. I never heard of her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress she placed on certain lines and certain hymns. It was not many weeks before I, before I turned from a sense of that I was being helpful to her to a sense of wonder and that she was helping me. And I would go to her with a pen and paper to write down what she had to say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in 10 different directions at once with all the things I had to think about. And the question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went in and I asked her, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. And I sat there for a moment, thinking about how difficult it is for me to even think about Jesus for five minutes. And here's this woman who thinks about Jesus all day long. And so I said, what do you think about when you think about Jesus? And she replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote this down. She said, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life. You know, I'm, I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks wouldn't, would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. And he says, this is not fiction. Incredible as it must, may seem, a human being really lived like this. How could she do it minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, year after year? And I think the answer is that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. 
She had power. Lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, she had incredible power of gratitude. The kind that sees God's goodness and responds back to him. When I read the story, I stopped at those words when she said, I think about how good he's been to me. And I think about us and me more specifically, the times that I am more ungrateful than grateful, the times that I complain way more than I express gratitude. But gratitude does something in us. Right? If I were to ask you what happens in your heart when someone genuinely thanks you for something, what happens? It does something in you, doesn't it? And when you express it genuinely to someone else, it does something for you. And it's the same way with your Heavenly Father, your last felon. Gratitude towards our Heavenly Father draws our heart closer to Him. Gratitude towards our Heavenly Father draws our heart closer to Him. And so I want to end with the way that we started this thing by asking you this question. How often do we stop to recognize the goodness of God? And how often do we express gratitude for it? How often do we respond? It's amazing when you begin to think about his goodness, how it shifts your perspective, doesn't it? And it shifts your heart towards gratitude. And it fights against entitlement. And as followers of Jesus, it's how we've been called to live. And so I want to encourage you, if you didn't finish your list in this time frame, your homework assignment today before you go to bed tonight is to finish those 20 things. You know, this is a great exercise even to do with your kids or your grandkids for them to hear us talk about the goodness of God, the blessings that come from Him. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your goodness in our lives. Every single perfect gift has come from you. Father, we're, we're sorry for the times that we've allowed entitlement to sneak in. For selfishness to rob the blessing. But even as we walk into this Thanksgiving week, would you open our eyes and our hearts in a new way to truly see the goodness you have brought to us? And that in those moments, we would be like the one leper that returned and we would respond with gratitude for all the good things that you have done. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.